Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show podcast. Thanks for checking it out and make sure you subscribed. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. How, 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 how. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Oh, my golly, that's the gun guy's music. <laughs> Business is about to pick up here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relford, 2A attorney, firearms instructor, filling in for Big Nige today. And when you fill in, Guy, we like to have a segment called Ask the Gun Guy. Yeah, I love it. This is a popular segment you do on your amazing weekend program. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my show's a call-in show for the whole two hours, right? I'll have different topics I'll get into, but we take calls pretty much throughout the show. And that's really how I got started. That's how I got asked to be uh, a host here, as I was just a guest on other people's shows where we had call-in segments uh, we call Ask the Gun Lawyer or Ask the Gun Guy. So I, I love doing it. It's always a lot of fun. So let's get it cranking here. Daniel. You are up first. Welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. We got Guy Relford here. Hey, guys. Well, thank you for having me. I love the show, by the way. I also love, you know, the guy, Gun Guy Show on Monday segments. Thanks, and man. definitely loyal listener on Saturdays. Um, so here's my question. You're a firearms instructor, I, I understand. Uh-huh. Is there a place um, or does your school teach tactical applications for citizens carrying firearms to properly defend themselves like the guy that did in Greenwood. Yeah, I mean, that, that's available a lot of different places. Typically, when you go to a, a training facility, they're going to start you um, in something like, you know, basic handgun, and then you get up and get into defensive pistol. And then, for instance, I, I'm certified to teach a class called Personal Protection Outside the Home, which is kind of the, the top end of what I teach. And that's exactly like what we're talking about. It's about drawing a gun from concealment, uh, engaging targets at different distances, shooting from cover, which is relevant to the Greenwood shooting, um, shooting while you're moving which is also relevant. So, yeah, there, there are those classes. Go out and look for um, someone teaching the personal protection outside the home. That's an NRA-certified course, and uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. So if he's trying to find somebody to teach him that, what are some steps that he does? Does he just go into Google and type in who teaches yeah, this? Well, or? well, I'll tell you what. I, mean, like, I teach my classes at Indie Arms. And uh, Indy Arms has all different levels. Now, often they have prerequisites. So, in, in other words, if you haven't taken any handgun training at all, you don't go right into the top-end course. You, you know, they build you up. But, yeah, go to Indy Arms, their website, or just Google NRA, personal protection outside the home. And then, you know, he may have the requisite training already uh, or be able to test out of it, which there's a procedure for. But, but that class is exactly what he's talking about. Let's go to Troy. Troy, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show guy relfords here thank you uh, i have a quick question i keep uh, hearing from different people that indiana has relaxed their law on felons possessing firearms <laughs> now it's just uh uh, registered violent felons? No. True? Well, no, let me tell you exactly how that works. There's a lot of confusion on the internet about this. Indiana for decades, generations, has precluded what, what Indiana calls serious violent felons from possessing guns. But since 1968, uh, federal law through the Gun Control Act of 1968 has, has prevented any felon at any level from possessing a firearm. So when you intersect 
Indiana law and federal law, no, felons cannot possess a gun um, in Indiana since we have to comply with federal law as well. Indiana hasn't changed anything on that. Indiana itself under state law hasn't precluded all felons from possessing guns uh, in my lifetime, but they've precluded serious violent felons, but we still have to comply with federal law. And if you have any felony conviction, which is defined as a crime for which you could have been sentenced, not what you were sentenced to, but what you could have been sentenced to of over a year, then you can't possess a firearm. That's been the way that way for a long, long time. It's still that way, and nothing has changed. Bruce, you are up next. Bruce, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hey, fellas, how's it going? Good. Go and go. Going good. Good. Hey, hey, guy, got a question for you. Uh, my son got pulled over in a small little homecroft town, and uh, uh, cop said he was speeding. Uh, showed him his uh, license and gun permit. Cop asked him where the gun was, pulled him out of the car, and then took the gun and put it in the back seat. Uh, I did not know if that was something for, you know, cop safety or if this was something that was allowed to be done or not. Yeah, no, that actually, without some indication that your son was either engaged in criminal activity, and I mean something other than the speeding, the infraction, actual criminal activity, or some affirmative you know, evidence that would support a belief that your son was a danger to the officer, it's actually unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment for an officer to search your vehicle or seize your property, including a firearm. And, and look up a case called Melvin Washington versus State. I believe it was 2011. And Melvin Washington v. State makes this very clear. The guy had a gun license. He told the officer he had a, a gun in the car and had a handgun license. The officer said, well, I need to seize that vehicle for my, or excuse me, seize that firearm uh, for my safety during the stop and, and actually found drugs while he was searching for the gun. And the, the Indiana Court of Appeals found that was unconstitutional as a violation of the Fourth Amendment since there the, it was an unreasonable search and seizure. So Indiana law has been clear on that. Now, the question then becomes, what do you do about it? For instance, are we going to go file a lawsuit, um, you know, based on the inconvenience? What would a jury give your son, for instance, for, you know, being annoyed or inconvenienced as far as how that officer maintained that stop? And that may be why some police officers still do it. They may know it's not constitutional, but who's going to run off and actually file a lawsuit over that? That becomes a separate question. But, yeah, check out Melvin Washington v. State because that very clearly answers that question. We're doing a round of Ask the Gun Guy. Guy Relfer, 2A attorney, firearms instructor in studio. Arnold, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. What you got, Arnold? Thank you. Thank you, Guy, for all the factual information you put out. Sure. I have carried for a large number of years, and in those years twice have been stopped where the gun has been at least temporarily taken, and I'm sure they're running a stolen check on it. Yeah. Two of the guns that I have carried are actually well-stamped property U.S. government, hmm. notably from World War II. Uh, one of them is actually a historical piece. But my awesome. question is, how do you prove ownership or correct ownership of something like that? Well, typically, unless your gun's like taken and impounded, you don't have to prove ownership. In other words, you can. With it, before we we adopted constitutional carry under our license to carry, you could you could carry any gun that you lawfully possessed without having to prove ownership. You don't have to prove ownership um, if somebody pulls you over today, a police officer pulls you over and finds a gun in the car. They can run a serial number, and if if it comes back stolen, that's a problem. But if it doesn't come back stolen, um, there's no need to prove ownership to maintain possession of that firearm because we don't have gun registration 
in Indiana. I mean, it's a good idea to keep receipts when you buy guns. I've had people here recently tell me that Marion County, for instance, if there if a gun is impounded and 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 it's been released and you can go pick it up, they're making you prove that's your gun in order in order to release it out of the Marion County property room. But that's a separate issue. Um, if if your gun's not impounded, there's no really no legal need to prove ownership because we don't have registration, so that gun's not registered to you, nor should it be. And I would fight against any plan to have gun registration here in Indiana, tooth and nail. Mark, you are up next. Mark, we got the gun guy here. Go ahead. Quick question. So what I've wondered, and maybe this has happened and it's gotten bounced for the court and I've missed it, but you get all these safe zones. And so somebody comes waltzing in knowing that they aren't going to get any resistance. Has anybody that's been shot that is a licensed carry individual or people that are just in there that were in the middle of it that were licensed to carry sued the facility or the establishment that they didn't properly protect them uh, when they could have protected themselves in a moment versus waiting for the cops to get there in, in five minutes. Yeah, you know, when when a when a business owner precludes firearms, there there, there have been uh, bills introduced before in other states um, that say if they preclude firearms in a particular business and you get hurt because you didn't have the capacity to defend yourself, the business should be 100% liable, what we call strictly liable. Um, we haven't passed anything like that in Indiana. It's something we've looked at. Um, but, but the theory has to be that the property owner knew of a known risk and they subjected their invitee we, we call them, to a known uh, existing risk. And that's a hard thing to prove when, you know, active shooters tend to be very random and unpredictable. It's hard to prove they knew of a risk and, and failed to defend their, their, their customers or their invitees against that known risk. And that's why there's been legislation introduced to, to make them strictly liable. We haven't passed anything like that in Indiana yet. All right, Paul, Joe, and Ron, stay on the line. We've got to take a quick timeout here. We're going to get you guys next. Don't go anywhere. We'll finish up Ask the Gun Guy when we come back. This is the Hammer and Nigel Show. Mind if I do this here real quick? We had a friend bring by some beverages in the studio, and this is my long day here at work because I got the sports betting show tonight. Oh, that's right. Uh, so after Hammer and Nigel show ends at 7, I run up to the fan and host You Bet with Bet Rivers from 7 to 8, talking all things sports betting. So it's my long day. I can have a couple beers at work. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, let's keep it rolling here. Let's just go to the phones. Paul was waiting patiently. Paul, we got Guy Relford here. Go ahead and ask the gun guy. Hey, Guy, just a real quick question. Sure. I came in to tell in about the felony question, but I got a felony 24 years ago. was a Class C burglary and a receiving stolen property. I had those expunged four months ago. Now, when that clears up through the courts, will I be able to bear arms again? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the uh, the restoration of rights that is part of the expungement process has been recognized now by the feds as restoring your ability to uh, possess firearms. So, yeah, I mean, it's important that your lawyer uh, send the expungement orders uh, to the Indiana State Police. They update they update the national criminal histories, um, and and sometimes the feds get confused by that um, in terms of finding the expungement when they when they when they do a background check for instance, when you're buying a gun. But the short answer is yes, an expungement in Indiana does restore your uh, right to possess a firearm uh, when you've had a felony expunged. Uh, guy got a tweet from Jerry, okay? And it's kind of a loaded one here, but I'll throw it to you. I know there's no gun registration in Indiana, 
But what would be so bad about it if we did have to register firearms? I'm not a big gun person. I'm just curious. Well, I mean, when we've had registration, for instance, um, some states have 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 put a registration requirement in place and then right on the heels of that then passed a so-called assault weapon ban and guess what they know right where to go to go seize firearms it doesn't stop it's it snowballs. doesn't stop and when you so, give the government or any sort of agency just a little bit i.e wait two weeks to flatten the curve look what happens after that that's right and by the way you know the leading example of who doesn't trust the government with a list of gun owners or gun registration Congress, because as part of the so-called uh, Firearm Owners Protection Act in 1986, Congress actually for, forbade, um, uh, prevented, prohibited the federal government from keeping any kind of a database of guns or gun owners. So Congress doesn't trust the government with a list of guns or gun owners. I certainly don't either. Joe, you are up next. Welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show, and Guy Relford's here. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Yeah, I was, I was wondering... Um, been a long-time gun owner. I've never had any problems by purchasing firearms. Moved here from Wyoming in 2019, and for some reason I get flagged um, that I need to do more information on fingerprints to the federal government. I get my background checked every few years because of my job. Is that gonna? Is that the reason why they're asking for more? Do you think or? Why would they be asking for any more information when you know, I've never had any problems? Typically, it's it's because your name is very close to somebody who's a prohibited possessor. Um, your social security number may also be like a digit or two off, and that confuses them. So they'll delay you and sometimes ask for more information. But the way to fix this is to apply for what's called a U-PIN. It's called a unique personal identification number. And, and you could just Google that. And you do that through an application for, I'll give you another acronym, called a VAF, Voluntary Appeal File. What you're doing is you're actually, and this is relevant to the, the question that I was just talking about with Jason, you're giving the government permission to keep a little electronic file on you that says they've checked you out and you're okay to buy a gun. They keep that file at NICS, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System run by the FBI out of Wheeling, West Virginia. They keep that file on you and it's linked to this UPIN, this unique personal identification number. I have a UPIN. And, and there's a place when you go in to buy a gun at the gun store, right under name and address and whatnot, it says social security number, optional, military ID, optional. Then it says UPIN, optional. If you have a UPIN, you put it right in there on that form. They then see that at NICS when they do the background check and they go, oh, I've checked this dude out. He's okay. And you sail right through. So if this is happening happening to you recurrently, apply for your VAF, your voluntary appeal file. They issue you a U-PIN and then you're good to go going forward. So I, even my clients who I do expungements for, since the NICS tends to screw up and not see the expungement or not understand that it restores rights, um, I tell them, get a U-PIN so you don't have to worry about it going forward. Ron, we got time. Time for one more, my man. Rock and roll. What you got, Ron? Thanks, guys, uh, for taking my call. Nice job on your shows. I Thank love you. Them. Uh, my question is about 80% uh, firearms uh, are firearms built by, with 80% components. Um, I personally have several. Uh, is it illegal for me now to possess those firearms? 
No. The, the, the new regulations passed by ATF that just went into effect here a couple of weeks ago, um, they, they, they have serialization requirements and, and FFL licensing requirements for people selling those kits, but they didn't change the law with respect to you possessing them. Um, if you ever um, uh, would, would transfer them to an FFL, they have to serialize them. But, 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 but as you know, making it for your personal use only is what's legal, so you want to hang on to them. Don't try to transfer them, but it's legal for you to own them. Thank you so much for your calls. Guy Relford, way to rock that. Knock it out of the park. Always fun. Be sure to catch us every weekday, 3 to 7 on 93 WIBC, or subscribe and get it right to your phone.